0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast.
1: RJ, on this episode of the Deep Dive, we have some incredible Kraken news to go over, including some historic first wins for the team. Some big updates on some of their biggest stars as well as pitching the big exciting long alluded to kind of trade deadline special that we're going to do next week on the deep dive uh given that the Kraken aren't going to be playing this week so we we you know it seems like the appropriate time next week uh to start digging into the trade deadline and hearing from everybody so you know make sure you hang around get the phone number so you can call us Give us all of your big trades. But before any of that cracking stuff, RJ got to start with one of the biggest stories in the NHL today. All right. And I am of course talking about Gary Bettman receiving the sports business journals, lifetime achievement award, because according to NHL.com, that's the biggest story in the NHL today.
0: Yes. And, um, 30 years of Gary Bettman, definitely worth taking a look back at, uh, and, and exploring there. And I mean, Talk about a slow news day. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm, I'm looking down the list and I, you know, you, you've, you've got the Bobby Hall stuff and that's yeah. there. Um, but you know, Giroux of senators leads three stars of week. Oilers e-bug Berlin gets motorcycle vest. Uh That's, that's what he's up against today.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, yes. Gary Bettman is going to be passing David Stern of the NBA as the longest tenured uh, commissioner in the, one of the four major, uh, Amer- North American sports leagues 30 years on February 1st uh you know he's 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 done a lot RJ you know when he came in from you know he was under David Stern originally over with the NBA and when he came over uh, the NBA and the NHL were tied uh, in revenue viewership all that stuff. Uh, kind of third place in the pecking order amongst North American sports, really not that far behind the NFL, if you can believe it, everybody, back in 1993. And uh, since then, under Gary Bettman, we've watched as the NHL has become a distant fourth to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
0: it's been a journey, hasn't it, Dylan?
1: Yeah, we're the only league to have, you know, multiple major work stoppages and all the terrible media rights deals that don't get us on any channels that people like have to watch national games. It's it's a lot definitely worthy of a of a lifetime achievement award.
0: Hey, Dylan, tell me you don't feel some nostalgia for the
1: versus network. I I do, I guess uh remember how dark their everything was (laughs) like like they had like two lights and that was it they just didn't have they just didn't have lighting equipment uh that's what i remember from the versus network and then watching uh crosby and ovechkin go at it because that was all the league had post lockout (laughs) it's just that (laughs) pretty much um He has done a lot, though, and and the reason I bring this up on the deep dive and not maybe on a red glare is because, you know, look, Gary Bettman is the guy that helped the NHL expand from 24 up to now 32 teams, which includes the Seattle Kraken. He he did pave the way for that expansion, done a better job than the NBA in that regards, everybody, so we got to give Gary Bettman that. but uh, I, I bring it up because without him, the Seattle Kraken and and the way they entered the league and all of that would would not have happened. I mean would it have happened under somebody else? maybe, but that's that's the what if game and we don't play that around here. We're playing that next week with the trade deadline special <laughs> uh, So um, uh, I just I just brought it up because I just thought it was it was interesting when I pulled up uh, the NHL's website and it was like, oh this is front page, big time stuff. I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, in the interest of news, we'll let everybody know. Gary Bettman, 30 years, longest ever active commissioner. Congrats.
0: Yep. No, I, to those who celebrate, congrats, congrats and enjoy <laughs> this this
1: momentous day. Yep. All right. On to Kraken news, RJ. This past week, huge, huge events, okay? Like some of the biggest events in the franchise's history for the Seattle Kraken and, I, I mean, the biggest one, bar none, definitely got to start with it. First ever win against the Columbus Blue Jackets, baby. Let's go! <laughs> you had me
0: going there. I mean, it's good to get that out of the way. Um didn't want to go uh, winless against the Blue Jackets, but think you may be burying the lead a little bit
1: you're right i am and because it wasn't just our first ever franchise win against the columbus blue jackets it was also our first game against the columbus blue jackets to end in regulation
0: that's that's the real accomplishment, not not going to overtime against the Blue Jackets in any scenario. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can we can wrap up the week's news. I think we pretty much covered it
1: just about. Yeah. One one oh and two against Columbus all time. It's the, that's the place you want to be. That's that's what winners are all about, because you know what that means, RJ? That's four points right there. That's a lot of points in, in three games. You'd take two that thirds of possible right? points. It's the same as being two and one in this messed up league. (laughs) Thank you, Gary Bettman. And we've come full circle. We've come full circle. We could end the podcast five and a half minutes. Let's go. Look at our efficiency. Uh, All right. So there was the Columbus game. The biggest thing about the Columbus game is just Team finished on a high note going into their buy and the all-star break, all that kind of stuff. Um, of course, the the much larger story from this past week was getting that first ever franchise win against the Vancouver Canucks. Team that we have played and, and lost to in regulation more than once. Uh, and And to finally get that first win against a regional rival and to do it in emphatic sense, RJ, fashion. 6-1, just totally handing it to them. Uh, get the Bruce, there it is chance at CPA, I'm making fun of Rick Tockett, who he tried, RJ. He called that timeout after those two Kraken goals. And you know what? His team responded by allowing a bunch more Kraken goals.
0: Yep, exactly. Uh, He called the timeout. He was giving it to his team. And, uh, yeah, team responded that way. Uh, Tockett responded after the game by calling them soft. You know, this nice little little loop here that we've got going in Canucks land.
1: The circle of NHL life continues. all is as it should be
0: um, but yeah it was it was a great kind of banner win uh, for the Kraken first win over the Canucks um, the, the crowd going with the Bruce there it is chance I, I think Kraken fans leveled up that night um, you know with the topical chance I mean that's that's the kind of stuff that that brings the, the best fan bases out there when you see an opponent that's that's maybe going through a bit of a mess organizationally and you just add to it I you know not entirely sure you know whether it was a canucks fan or a kraken fan who started that chant but man kraken fans got on board and you know what if any canucks fans involved it was a nice little moment of unity there uh, you know in support of uh of uh very likable bruce boudreau
1: that's and that's important for a a fan base going through what they're doing is for everybody to be on the same page uh, about what their what their future entails Um, the, the thing that I liked about it is, you know, we have long said that you can't have a rivalry until both teams have won. We've also talked about the idea of, you know, maybe not until a playoff series, kind of something more hard fought and, uh, you know, not separated by months at a time, these games in the regular season at times. But I, I do think that, you know, getting the win. Yes, that was big for building the rivalry, but having a moment like that, where you can, tease make fun of enjoy relish in what this other team and what their fan base is going through like that is the stuff of rivalries is is when you can acknowledge the stuff that's going on kind of behind the scenes with a team that's generally what it is i'm not advocating for going after players with like a personal life issue or anything like that but when you see a, a franchise handle their coaching situation the way they did and everybody is piling on them about it and and rightfully so uh to see the fan base do that like that's that's the kind of that's the stuff of rivalries right there
0: yeah definitely and um just, I, I'm i so proud of the Kraken fans when I when I saw that happening I was rushing to get get my cam- uh, phone out just to you know take video of it but I was just I was smiling the whole way that's kind of what I wanted out of that game and, and I was so happy to get it
1: Yes. Uh, The other kind of big story that I want to talk... talk about from that game because obviously it was it was a Kraken game got goals from multiple different players we're gonna get to the big story everybody don't worry uh but before that one um got goals from multiple players on the Kraken two from Oliver Bjorkstrand I felt like he had a fantastic game like finally kind of getting some payoff for for the level of work that he's been putting in uh and gets another goal Donato continued his hot streak all that kind of stuff and it's it's it really this is a story of the week, but I feel like this game in particular uh, was the best example of it was just the depth of scoring that the Kraken have. And now we we have like the numbers to kind of like quantify it uh, in a very strong way. RJ, there are 11 Seattle Kraken players with nine plus goals this season. <laughs> i that that's just incredible the the level of depth scoring
0: that you get from teams somebody it feels like somebody is always on you know we'll talk about this i mean i I guess we talked about the columbus game a a little bit um but you look at a guy like morgan geeky stepping up and and getting a big goal there like somebody always seems to step up with this team uh and that was the case against the canucks too and they also showed kind of how how they can just thoroughly beat a team um by, by basically possessing the puck the whole time. And you, you get four lines rolling and it's so hard to defend against I, the next morning. And this quote will kind of stick with me. Mm-hmm. Um, Hackstall was asked about, um, you know, how well his team defended or, you know, are you proud of the way your team defended the the other night against the, the Canucks? And he said, we really didn't defend that much. We didn't have to, didn't we have had to. the puck the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and to hear that from a coach just kind of shows the, the level of domination there.
1: Yeah and and you know we've we've talked about the different kind of things that that can show that maybe maybe some stats that lie sometimes hits being one of them vancouver out hitting the kraken 20 to 8 well again you can kind of only hit somebody with the puck so if one team's got the puck the entire time well actually well we'll i know we'll get to that but that doesn't count as a registered hit so uh, uh, as far as the stats are concerned um that's that's the way the system is but yeah when i when i see that number of 11 guys with nine goals the person in 12th Tolvenin with eight in his 15 games played with the seattle kraken uh i've talked about it before one of those kind of big metrics people use and and certainly like like uh the gambling sites and all that stuff use when it comes to trying to predict playoff favorites setting odds for stuff like that they look to see which teams have the most like double digit goal scores like yes 20 goals is like a, a special milestone that can show like how effective a player is but 10 goals is, is, again, if if you get that number into double digits itself, like that's a lot of guys scoring for you. It's a lot of guys who on any given night can step up. And come playoff time, that's generally what you need as the games get a little tighter, a little more physical, a little greasier, and a little more low scoring normally. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that, that matters for you. Uh, the other big thing was shout-out to the Kraken P.K., Canucks 0 for five. Never really even looked dangerous on the power play. Uh, I I just think the Kraken penalty kill, you know, this week in in general, this month has looked fantastic.
0: It has, and and you see the difference in switching to their their different system where you've kind of instead of that little you know wedge plus one, you've got the box. They're playing a little bit more conservatively, um, but it's amazing how well they've adjusted to an entirely new you know PK system, kind of on the fly. But this is. You know, credit to the coaching staff for recognizing a change needed to be made, making that change, and they're seeing the results in season. And I think they have more wins, more points right now than they would have otherwise had they not changed it.
1: Yeah, I very much agree with that. Talked about it on the post game live whiteboard, even made an appearance to talk about it. Uh, that yes, was, I that love was, that. That was some big, big time stuff right there. Uh, the last thing before we get to the big. The big Maddie story that I want to talk about when it comes to this game, RJ, was the fact that they won it coming off of multiple days of rest, which is forget about the fact that it was against Vancouver. That's just like a new thing for the Kraken this year. As we all know, they've struggled when they've had multiple days off. Uh, it's one of the reasons we've speculated that they've been better on the road is kind of a more consistent regular schedule. It's easier to get into that rhythm of playing, being off, playing, being off, Um for them to be able to do that, also, because I think we were all scared. There was lots of comments in, in previous post games or on Discord, on Twitter, about you know being worried about what this team is going to look like. Of like you know, oh gosh, we have to play Vancouver coming off the three days rest. But you know what, I I really think that the Kraken are kind of figuring that situation out. I feel like. They've just come together as a team, RJ, in a way that they all have like kind of a a natural rhythm and chemistry with each other at this point. I don't know that they need a schedule to kind of dictate that for them anymore. Right. And it's something that I think they
0: had a big problem with last season. We look at their record coming off of breaks, uh, especially, uh, you know, last season and and how poorly they did and even kind of at the start of this season. But I think it's all kind of come together. They're able to recognize, I I think, when they have these trouble spots. And, And we saw it later in the week coming off a really just flat out bad effort against Calgary and and everybody admitted as much. And mm-hmm. then the next day going in against Columbus, everyone knew what needed to be done, the changes that needed to be made, the, the effort that needed to be brought. And they did it. And yeah. that's, you know, the, the sign of a team that, you know, has that, those standards in their mind and they know, okay, this is what our standard is. We're going to play up to it. And um I'm hoping that 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 continues after the all-star break and i'm as confident as i ever have been that that will be the case um and especially going out on the road i think a lot of times too when they've had these breaks and i went back and looked at this last night coming off of those long breaks the kraken have a pretty bad record you know Mm -hmm. in franchise history but a lot of those they were coming back at home and i know we've talked about you know for some reason they're better on the road i don't know i think it's just gonna it's gonna be good for them going on the road straight after this all-star break maybe a little bit easier to focus
1: yeah. And, you know, I say three days off technically back on the 22nd on that Sunday, they had the super skill showcase. Um, which we talked about last week. You gave us a great review on last week's episode of the deep dive, talking about that alongside some incredible photos from Jen. Like those are some of my favorite ever Kraken photos, the stuff she was able to take. And we were able to include in that podcast, the video portion of that podcast over on YouTube um, because you just, you can just tell what an amazing time those guys are having. And that was coming off of playing, however like a ridiculous amount of games like 14 and 21 days or whatever it was for them to to show up the night after a shootout loss and and to to be that happy and that engaged with the fans and 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 you could just see the joy on their faces it was it was really really special she did a great job capturing it so want to give a shout out to to jen there um the last thing I'll talk about, and I, I, again, I'm not trying to like push off the Maddie discussion, everybody, just because that's going to be a longer, more detailed discussion as we talk about like the league's concussion protocols and everything. The last thing I want to bring up from this week of the Kraken playing RJ is, and we've talked about this the last couple weeks, Philip Grubauer actually passed uh, Martin Jones in save percentage, and yeah, you know, we we were we were talking last week about it he was close it hadn't quite happened but after this past week philip grubauer in the in kind of the one traditional stat that the goalie can control themselves save percentage and even that some of that's dictated by the team in front of them <laughs> philip grubauer is outperforming martin jones now we can officially say it
0: yes uh and i mean good good for him and you know this is nothing against martin jones obviously jones you know has done everything well that he's done you know, this season definitely but but uh, but yeah, for Philip Grubauer to kind of keep inching his way up there, um, I, you really feel like given the way he's played, he, he's going to hit that. He's going to hit that 900 mark pretty soon, um, which is just something we haven't seen from a Kraken goalie ever. Um, and it would be really nice to get that at some point.
1: It's like the Kraken goaltenders have been stuck playing in the 80s or something like never in the 21st century, RJ, did I think that, you know, we would just have teams that could go like multiple years with sub 900 goaltending, much less a team that could be sitting first place in their division
0: with it. Although I, I do think part of our mindset has to adjust a little bit, you know, back when we were, you know kind of growing up with the, the versus the network days in the versus network days yeah. yeah the average save percentage was something around 915 over the league and now it's down as low as like 905 or something last i checked so you know you do have to adjust a little bit you know 900 is actually just a little bit below league average now instead of a lot below
1: yeah, that's where all these people about Connor Bedard could be the the next guy to hit 70 goals in the NHL co- start coming in cuz they're like well, scoring's up and it's like it's not up that much. Cool your jets, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 70 goals. <laughs> um yeah, so so that's the Philip Grubauer stuff. Just want to bring it up again just cuz I, I don't know, I just feel this need to defend him against that section of the fan base that's been super critical of him. And I get it. Last year, justified. He'd probably say it was yep. justified. He played really poorly last year. But this year he has not been playing poorly. It's just been circumstantial stuff that has led to his record being so much worse than Martin Jones and so I'm just, you know, any chance I yeah. I have, I'm going to stick up for him a little bit.
0: Yeah. Now I have a question for you on Grubauer because yeah. this this kind of leads into okay post All Star break because right. I think the good play from him has certainly come. We we've gotten that. Um, I I don't think you can deny it anymore. Since the New Year, his play has been really good. But what hasn't come are the starts and, and the high mm-hmm. leverage starts too. I think if you look at The starts that Martin Jones is getting, the games that Haxtall's putting him into versus Grubauer. Yeah, it's the pattern of a starter backup relationship. That's what it is. Martin Jones getting all the high qual high leverage starts. I mean, getting, you know, if there's a 50-50 or whatever, oh, you could start either guy. It's almost always Martin Jones. That back to back against Calgary and Columbus. Jones gets the most the more important and the harder of the two games. Mm -hmm. Do you think we start to see a little shift there? Uh, where where it it goes more into a split or or even Grubauer can take over that starting role cuz that just hasn't happened yet.
1: No, it hasn't and you might know better just cuz you're around Dave Hackstall a little bit more. But fair point. <laughs> uh you know, I would, but I I probably would have done that a little while ago. I would have worked more towards 50-50 and then based on how they've played uh recently I would have probably started to play Grubauer a little bit more. I think he's been playing fantastic. The root broadcast, uh, you know, during that Columbus game, just kept showing different on-screen graphics showing us how fantastic Gru has been. Really, since he came back from injury at, in late November, he's been lights out in all the opportunities that he's been given. I would like to see him start multiple times a week. I I said that on that last post game. Um, I can, I can guarantee you that barring an injury, he's going to start at least one game the first week, the Kraken come back to play, but that's only because they have a back to back on the East coast on the ninth and 10th. So I don't know. I think, I think it would go a long way if, you know, Grubauer plays, plays one of those games that first week. And then the second week when they play on the 12th, 14th, 16th and 18th, if Grubauer is able to get half of those starts. Maybe one of those yeah. on the road. The, the, the first two games are on the road, second two games at home. If him and Martin Jones can, can um, split those 50 50, one, ro- one home and one road game apiece, I think that would be a lot as far as signaling that, you know, Hackstall is is starting to shift his mindset there.
0: Agreed, and the the only reason I hesitate on this is just because we've called for this for you know a little bit, you know maybe mm-hmm. a week or two already, and we definitely haven't seen it. And and Hackstall has yep. kind of clearly kept with Jones as the starter, so it's the kind of thing where I'll believe it when I see it. But I think we might start to see it coming out of this All Star
1: break. That's only because Hackstall like we said it like Hackstall probably it was all planned out with everybody, and then we said it, and he was like, well I can't do it just because they said it. Then it looks like right? They're coaching the team and I'm not coaching the team. It was one of those kinds of situations. So really that's on us. But, um, I, yeah, I that, think that's how this works. Yeah. I think, I think moving forward, the results are speaking for themselves and, and that, uh, that kind of closer split is going to have to happen. Enough putting it off RJ. We got to talk about the Maddie Beneers injury now in that Vancouver game, taking that, um, kind of blindside interference, Penal- penalty hit. I mean, he didn't take the penalty. Myers took the penalty. Um, but that interference hit from Tyler Myers where he goes head first down into the ice, his head pretty violently snaps uh, back up after it hits the ice there. Uh, we now... You know, we're we're assuming again, I still don't think it's been confirmed that it's a concussion um, nope, has not. But that's, no details on that. It's, you know, based on all the evidence from that night and what's happened since then, that's certainly what all the signs point towards. Uh And it's just it's unfortunate, RJ. I'm wearing my Maddie for Calder shirt right now. Um, but he was having a fantastic season and we kind of got to see in those next two games against Calgary and Columbus, how much Matty Beniers in this first full season really means to the Kraken and we can get to the concussion protocol stuff in just a second, but having him absent, I mean, it, it hurt their offense for sure, but I think it was even more stark in that flames game, just how much defense he kind of provides and cover for some of his defensemen he might, uh, bring to this team. Exactly, and that Flames game
0: you know said told the whole story as far as how much the kraken missed maddie Beniers there what what you had was a team that was completely unequipped i think to deal mm-hmm. with his absence um and you know dave haxtell tried some things out line combination wise uh, very little of it it's almost none of it worked um you know it just just the gourd line that he kept together you know played well but beyond that in the lineup uh there, there just wasn't enough from the forwards and i think you really felt his absence there um And yeah, just, there's a lot that he brings to this team. And I think it's the kind of thing that unfortunately you don't even, you take it for granted until it's not there. Um, And I think we all kind of saw the effect of that. Um, And in the Columbus game, it was better. I think, you know, having a worse opponent certainly helps, but you also have guys like Morgan geeky stepping up big time uh, to fill that void. Um, But, you know, it's still not quite the same. Uh, And so, the Kraken are going to miss Maddie a lot for however long he's out. Hopefully that's not too long. I mean, you know, we can talk about the injury itself and, and you know, w- what that might mean as far as potential timeline, even though it's, it's pretty murky. I mean, one pot- potential good sign is that after the Columbus game last night, uh, Dave Haxtell said that the All-Star break, of course, is well-timed. Yeah, we've got several players banged up. But the quote is, we don't think there's anything that's too long-term. So hopefully he's you Know directing that at you know Beneers, Schwartz, and Schultz, and, and yeah. the injury situation there. Um, and so hopefully that's a good sign for Matty.
1: yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, the, what he brings as for me in the low slot, both offensively and defensively, the Kraken were kind of missing it. You saw Alexander Wenberg step up kind of big time in both of those games, offensively playing net front, picking up a goal in each game, uh, kind of doing that and, and being in that spot. You but defensively, the way Maddie just covers for a defenseman, allows a defenseman to chase a puck carrier behind the net, knowing Maddie's right there and and that kind of special ability he has to, to read passes and to always put himself in the defensive zone exactly where he should be to take away a key passing lane for the opposing team. And this is something going back years to my scouting reports from him before he was ever even drafted by the Kraken I talked about. He just I don't even think it's conscious for him. I just think wherever, like he just sets up and he just naturally knows exactly where to be to take away a pass to the slot or a cross-seam pass or whatever it is. He just knows exactly where to be to disrupt what the opposing team is doing without having to do anything himself, just by existing in that space. And that's the sign of a special defender. I look at, at the defense he's been playing, and I can't help but think, you know, Selski votes are in his future i look at the fact that he plays that hard defensively in two way and he's only got the two penalty minutes on the season thinking lady bing votes are in his future it's a lot of special stuff in his future unfortunately if it is a concussion we know that that's that stuff that you know hopefully it's not too serious this time but they they add up and we'll talk about that in a little bit with you know stanskoye But it's it's one of those it's the scariest injury that you can have in hockey because of all of the unknowns, because you're dealing with the brain. It's not something that's easily um, diagnosable. The symptoms can vary so wildly. It's not like if, you know, you you tear a muscle, you strain a muscle, something like that. You break a bone, right? Like the symptoms are the symptoms and the 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 course of treatment is the course of treatment. It's very cut and dry, and with concussions, it's not that case. It's not that way. Uh, there's only so much di- diagnostic testing that you can do for it uh, to try to ascertain what's going on. That's that's another thing that adds to the to the mystery and and re- frankly the scariness of it. Um, and, and we've just you know we've seen so many careers cut short, R.J., because of head injuries in this league and in other leagues uh, that, you know, you just can't help, but, but kind of think that way. I'm not trying to be too pessimistic or anything. It's just, it's, it's naturally what pops up for me. Um, just because of, like I said, the the history we've seen, whether it's uh, a Mark Savard and Eric Lindros back in the day, Paul Correa. I mean, these were all fabulous players, fantastic players who, whose careers were, um, on amazing trajectories and then forever altered afterwards because of, because of concussions. And I would just hate to see that for Maddie. Yeah. And it's
0: not just the career too. It's the quality of life, you know, for for the rest of your life potentially. Um, So it's something that that you definitely have to take very seriously. And I I think the league doesn't take seriously enough. Um, So, you know, it's an unfortunate
1: conversation to have, but one that needs to be had. Exactly. And and kind of following, following that, we talked about it that night. Uh, one of the things that was most difficult to watch about the scenario was it was clear after that hit, before we saw replays and saw how hard his head hit the ground, it was clear that Maddie wasn't himself. Uh, he was struggling to get off the ice. The door was open. He kind of glides over to the bench. And then he doesn't really make an effort to get through the open door. And this is after Geeky has hopped on the ice for him. Like, it was clear that he wasn't uh, thinking properly is the bottom line. And, uh, again, yep. as scary as that is to say, that is what was happening. And then he goes to the bench. He finally gets on the bench. They They blow the play dead. He goes onto the bench. He sits down. He does a classic thing we've seen guys do after head injuries where they kind of sit down, they take a breath and they obviously they get wheezy or the lights are too much or whatever it is. And they just kind of sink forward heads in hand. He disappears kind of behind the bench. And one of the things that bothered me the most watching that wasn't that I was seeing him affected that way. Cause obviously that's horrible was the fact that not a single member of the Kraken coaching or training staff was talking to him. Nobody was making an effort to go over and see if he was okay. He missed one shift, but then came back out and played the rest of that period before being pulled during the second intermission. I thought that that was something that again, I mean, this is Maddie Beniers. The name of the game is hustle with this guy. Like that is absolutely what he is known for. The moment he was struggling to get off the ice, and he wasn't hopping off that bench. Like, if, no matter how hurt he is, if it's not a concussion, Matty Beniers is finding a way to get off the ice as quickly as possible so his replacement can get out there and he can help his team however he can in that scenario. The moment that that wasn't happening should have been the clue to everybody in the Kraken organization that something was wrong. And we didn't really see the Kraken act on that. And that, that bothered me. Yeah, it
0: bothered me as well. And it was something I was even you know thinking about when he when he didn't come out for the third period, too he was allowed to get back on the ice. I think it was two minutes and 37 seconds of game time later.
1: That's,
0: I don't, that's not enough time to properly evaluate something like that. And especially when, you know, we have the benefit of the replay. You see, there are the tablets on the bench. Anybody can look at that and see a replay and, and, and see his head bounce off the ice the way that it did. You know, I was able to pull up that replay right away and, and get it out on Twitter. I think before Matt even played another shift. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's something that everyone had access to and that he's able to come back and and not just play one shift, not just play two shifts, play three shifts. Yeah. Before the intermission. And, and you know, thank goodness the intermission was as close as it was, you know, it, you know, good thing it wasn't, there wasn't, you know, 15 minutes left in the period. It was at least kind of closer to the end of it, but um, you know, to see that and and you have to ask that question because I think it's something that's gotten lost in you know, a lot of people upset with Tyler Myers for the hit, mm-hmm. you know, should there be a suspension, all this conversation, but something that gets lost in that is asking the really important question, I think, of how is it possible that Matty Beniers was able to come back and play less than three minutes later, given that that had happened and it was something kind of clearly identifiable that, that checks all the boxes um, for a potential concussion.
1: Right. And so we'll, we'll get to the Myers stuff in, in a second, but based on what you were just talking about, I pulled up the concussion evaluation and management protocol for the NHL for the season of 2022, 2023. All right. And in here it's, it's long. I will not like be reading all of it, audio book style. Although maybe if you're interested in that, everybody, we can add that to one of the Patreon tiers, but uh, in it, it, it covers a couple different sections. Number one, uh, is education and that's clubs show uh, an educational video about concussions there's brochures a concussion poster visible signs video to show uh, you know club managers and and everybody what what the visible signs of a potential concussion are so they can better you know do a better job handling it and then educational meetings you know again kind of whatever that is so that's the education side of things which is frankly all, all of this as i read it out rj this is all like the NHL kind of covering themselves from future lawsuits related to players yes. later in life uh, because that is something that has already happened for them. Uh, but then as, as far as like what the actual protocols are is at the beginning of the season, players undergo a SCAT 5 testing via an app to kind of get a baseline for their, you know, neural abilities and, and stuff. And that way later on, if they're given that same test and they score lower, it, it have, you know, it, it incorporates motor skills, all sorts of stuff. If they score lower on it later then that could be a sign that they're, you know, in some way impaired, um, uh, they they're given baseline impact testing, which is a di- you know different form of testing. Same thing, a paper and pencil test, all that kind of stuff. So they they're given these baseline tests at the beginning of the season, so that later on during the season, if they need to need to be administered those tests to determine if they have a concussion. They have baselines. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think that yes. that's fine. Uh, but then you get into the identification of possible concussion, RJ. And you get into like who's responsible for this uh, in the next section, in in-game identification, roles and responsibilities. And this is where things get a little strange because the NHL is making it very, very clear that it is up to the club's to identify and handle these. The, the NHL is not going to be taking on any of that responsibility. Their responsibility is all that education and baseline testing and all of that stuff beforehand. Now it's on the clubs. And yes, they will work with clubs to have uh, league spotters, quote-unquote, mm. uh, who are there to observe. But even that is largely put on the clubs to have those people there and to be communicating with them.
0: Right. And there's a lot of talk about the league spotters and, you know, has the spotter pulled them and all of this. But if you if you read through it, it's clear that the spotters, you know, kind of official role is to assist the club. Mm -hmm. And, And it's ultimately the club responsibility.
1: Right, it is. It is up to the club. So, any you know whether it's we're talking about this Maddie situation or even, the the even worse one from just a couple of weeks ago was Jean Gabriel Pajot where he is so disoriented he cannot get up and skate. He has to be assisted off the ice, and then three minutes and twenty seconds, I think, in game time later, he's back out on the ice again. This is not enough time to to go through and and to evaluate a player. And when you read what the what the spotters are looking for what what check marks they are looking for so many of them are checked in both of those instances whether it's Pajot or or Maddie and it's just it's it's mind boggling going through this that nothing was done for either of those players
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and you you look at the visible, you know, they have visible signs, mandatory evaluation. If any of the following visible signs occurs after a direct blow to the head or blow to the body um, and, and you look at the signs that are there, you know, you have the blank or vacant look, you know, motor in coordination or balance problems. But but this is, you know, the, it's labeled as number D, letter D that, that gets me, too, because this is slow to get up, except as noted in section three, blah, blah, blah. Players slow to get up following any of the below mechanisms of injury. Uh, a blower, of the player's head, you know, from another player's shoulder. But here, number two, the player's head makes contact with the ice. I slow to get up. Check. Player's yeah. head makes contact with the ice. Check. Right, right there, mandatory evaluation.
1: Right, and I would argue with Maddie. Blank or vacant look. Cause that's what he has yep. on the, on the bench. And I guarantee I, I would bet money that if you talk to him, he probably doesn't remember those three shifts afterwards either. Cause we've heard that from so many players too, that have come back and played after concussions. They just don't remember it or NFL players, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's so, so rough. And so uh, look, I'm not trying to, to put all the, all the blame on the Kraken. And the bottom line is they did eventually somewhere, someone stood up and said, okay, something's not right here because he did not play the third period. That is huge. Like that like that is massive that they did do that um, I I still think that things should have happened faster than that I don't think he should have been playing in that game period afterwards but I do want to give credit where credit is due they did pull him and keep him from playing anymore after that intermission where maybe then they they administered the tests and everything and were able to conclude that he shouldn't be coming back um I I just I still I think it's one of those things and again we'll get to Tyler myers in just a second it's one of those things that it has to be called out every team that does it whenever it happens, I don't care if it's your team, your your arch rival, it has to be called out because it's it is so important that we protect these players and protect um their their heads especially because of, of how important it is not just now and their ability to play in the NHL but as you said the rest of their lives is what we're talking about here. This goes beyond sport. It goes beyond what's on the ice. This is where you get into, you know, are are you a, are you a human being with empathy, right? Like that's yeah. that's kind of the level we have to start hitting when it comes to some of this. And so whenever whenever um a situation arises like this and, and a team doesn't seem to be taking it uh either super seriously or acting quick enough, I believe it's important to to talk about it and kind of call them out.
0: Absolutely, and and it's it's tough on this one because you've got you know they, they did eventually take them out. And you've got that timeline, but um, and and I've I've tried to do some digging as far as you know how that actual process works, kind of on the minute to minute basis, and um, you know the, the people who who really know, I feel like can't talk a whole lot about it, um, and so unfortunately I didn't you know kind of get get as clear of an answer as I was hoping for but uh, it's the kind of thing that even if there is some difficulty with the timeline of it this is something that we need to be talking about and and trying to work on better solutions for because you know i mean you know (laughs) you'd hate to see it but what if Maddie had taken another hit in one of those three shifts and then it gets a whole lot worse um you know you have to work on trying to get a better process even if you know it feels like there's limits as far as what you can do timing wise should always be working on how to improve the process and make it better. Um, So that's a conversation that just needs to continue to be had.
1: Right. And so let's talk about one of the things that can also be done. Uh, to, to work on this and, and try to make it better from the league standpoint. And this is where we can talk about Tyler Myers, because I think both you and I had, you know, I, I was in the, we were in the post game right? And people are talking about, is that going to be a fine, a suspension? He should be suspended, all that stuff. And there's no question that it was interference, that it was a dirty play and that he, you know, it he, he caused this to happen needlessly. Like there's, there's no way around that. Nobody can argue against it. But you and I both knew nothing's going to happen here. Like there is not mm-hmm. going to be a suspension. Like I thought maybe there'd be a fine, but probably not. He was assessed the interference penalty and that that's just what the league will handle it. And this is where I get frustrated with the league because, it, again, if you want to take this stuff seriously, you you have to what many people would consider unfair unfair, you know, punishment, but you have to punish instances like this. If people feel like they can get away with removing, you know, arguably the Seattle Kraken's best player in Matty Beniers and all it's going to cost you is a two minute minor for interference, right? Like at some point you have to treat it that way. Do I think Tyler Myers was trying to remove Matty Beniers and give him a concussion, all that kind of stuff. No, I'm not saying that, but the league needs to think of it that way. They think about it that way for everything else. Right, you you always have to think of the worst case scenario when it comes to that stuff, so that you can adequately dole out punishment to to be used as um, uh, what the the word of, I'm spacing what, on the deter- word a deterrent deterrent yes. yeah because that's that's what it needs to be. And I've talked about this whether it was the Tom Wilson thing on a our, our Terry Panarin or whoever it is, but you have to take them seriously in those instances because the bottom line is people. Are, are there to see the best players and they're, see, they're there to see them play healthy and to play hockey. And that is how you make money as a league. And if you let stuff like this happen you, you jeopardize all of that. The whole like financial pyramid structure of the NHL becomes jeopardized. And, and uh, it's astonishing to me that after the lawsuits, the league has gone through uh, how out of the way they go to, to legally clear themselves of everything else that they then don't go and, and kind of punish moments like this to try to create that, that, you know, set of of rules that's going to tell p- players like okay you you're just never going to get away with this so just get it you know st- stop doing it period like get it out of your system
0: yeah and it's odd to me because that reasoning as far as looking at the the after effect of a situation the after effect of a hit it's always uh, or very very commonly used the opposite way where mm-hmm. you'll look the league will look at a hit and say OK, there, there was this was a, a potentially reckless hit. You know, there's some real potential danger here, but thankfully no injury was suffered and therefore we don't have to dole out any discipline. Uh, you know, and I, I see that all the time as far as kind of explaining away a lack of discipline because no injury happened on a potentially dangerous hit. I don't think there was a whole lot uh, to this Myers. hit. It was interference. A hundred percent. I think more often than not, the player doesn't, the the player who's uh, the recipient of the hit doesn't happen to have his head hit the ice in that way. It was kind of an unfortunate way, uh, you know, that Maddie fell into the ice, but you never see that justified the other way that like, you know, look, it's, it's interference here. It's a penalty. It's not like uh, the Ovechkin hit on Pajot in that earlier situation where it's completely clean hit. It's part of the game. It's something you see all the time. This is different. It's interference. It's a penalty. And that you kind of, I guess, have to be responsible for the results of your actions, even if something unfortunate beyond what ordinarily would results, uh, from you basically breaking the rules and interfering with a player here. Um, that that you should have to to deal with the consequences of that um, and you take that responsibility upon yourself when you do that it's it's kind of like you know the, the high sticking thing even if you didn't yeah. mean to high stick a guy you know you have to be in control of your stick at all times and whatever results uh, you're going to get penalized for
1: i was going to say so many of the rules in the rule book are just that of, of you are responsible for your body and your stick and your actions at all time, whether you mean to do something, whether you high stick somebody because you're falling down and you kind of flail your arm out to try to catch yourself and your stick hit somebody it's high sticking. You get called for that. Like that's just the way it goes. And for it to not kind of work this way, I agree with you is, is, it's just, it's strange to say the very least disappointing, uh, to use a stronger word, um, as we, we talk about this and we talk about the severity of it, can't help but think of also Donskoy, who did an interview uh, with a Finnish outlet, I believe, in which he kind of discussed his his ongoing situation. We've, we've again, kind of known, it's it's kind of been like an open secret type thing, right? That it was a concussion and he's been out and he's obviously on IR. Uh, but in that interview, he talked about this being his seventh concussion, and And having kind of serious conversations with you know his family about what his future may entail because of that and it's one of those again it's it's an uncomfortable situation to talk about, and it's not necessarily what everyone wants to hear uh, as you you know you're excited and you want to go to Kraken games and you want to watch hockey and and be super involved in all that is that there is this aspect of it because it is a contact sport that these are the realities of that. And, and one of those realities is that a player like Donskoy can have seven concussions who he can be experiencing symptoms now, what, four or five months after the fact and still have those symptoms. And the bottom line is his career. It's very much in question, if not leading towards doubtful at this point that he will ever play again.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of (laughs) where he's at. And, and also, you know, it's it's someone who's now starting to consider things maybe you know beyond his career and, and what his mm-hmm. life is. I, you know, via again, this is a Finnish outlet. The article was in Finnish. The best I have is Google Translate here, um, but you know, he said there, there've been severe headaches and dizziness, and, and that's something that's still occurring. Um, and that's gotta be scary when you, you know, you haven't been playing hockey, you're just going about your ordinary life and you're dealing with stuff like that. And, and Don Scoy mentioned that it, it really makes you think, uh, and you mentioned again, it's kind of a rough translation, but like, I have a family, I need to be a functional father for many more decades. And you have to think about that whenever you're making a decision about your future. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he's at this point where you can't undo any of this stuff. He's already on his seventh concussion. And um, this is something that could potentially impact him the rest of his life. And I think, um, you know, it, it's kind of timely that this comes out, you know, right as uh, with the Matty Benier situation being so present, mm-hmm. too. This is the effect. If these things, if concussions are allowed to kind of build up and you keep playing and um, you keep sustaining more of them, it can have really, really serious effects. Uh, to the point where, you know, you, you miss a whole season of hockey and you just have to start worrying about, OK, what's the quality of life going to be for the rest of your life?
1: Right. And and one of the things that you, you know, you also think about when it comes to these athletes. And I'll kind of get into some of the questions I, I saw people having uh, after this article came out, this interview came out. Um, Donskoy is only 30 years old. Like, it seems like he's old. He's been around forever. He started with the Sharks in 2015, right? Like, that's a long time ago now. Uh, This is, you know, talking eight years ago. Um, But he's only 30. Like, like you're yeah. talking about a 30 year old talking about potentially dealing with stuff for the rest of their lives. And, and you just, you know, you, you see him with his kid at that skills showcase out on the ice. Right. And, you, and and you see the the smile he has and everything. And you know that he's he's thinking about those moments and the ability to have more of those moments. And, and like you said, all of the moments through that child's life. And it's it's one of those I think we forget. Um, how young athletes are because we we will classify them as old uh, at different times. Right. We've always joked. You've always (laughs) joked about the the aging curve and all that kind of stuff. And but it is it's it's 30. Like that is not an old human being as far as old as far as human beings are concerned. Right. Athletes being old or running backs being washed up when they're 28. I'm 28. Like it's not that old. Okay. Uh, I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still trying to figure out life very much. Right. The idea of, of kind of you being washed up and used up by that point, uh, it's unique to athletics. There is nothing else that is going to say that about people of this age. And so again, it's, it's one of those where you, you, you could almost, you, you hate the fact that, um, these people at, at those ages are, are put in this position where they have to try to, to think about the consequences of actions now that might not pop up for you know so many years later that, that it would be, you know, their life doubled plus some, you know what I mean? Like that's that's one of the realities of it. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was fielding kind of questions for uh, and, and a lot of people had was if, if he doesn't play, and again, I, I'm, we're not saying that he isn't or anything, but if a player uh, is in a, in the same position as uh, Donskoy uh, and is unable to, to further their kind of playing career, what what like options are available to them as far as, you know, the league teams, all that kind of stuff, taking care of them. And I will say as far as teams taking care of players when they're injured or potentially, you know, suffering from some sort of long term disability, teams can step up and, and handle that stuff if they want to. That That's that's always kind of like a case by case basis. So uh, going down that road is is it, it it's a what if scenario kind of thing. So I, I won't go down that far. I'll only focus on like kind of what's in the CBA and what's on the books as far as the league is concerned uh, based on what I was able to kind of what I knew already and what I was kind of able to look up. Number one thing is you're injured like this, uh, especially because it comes from playing hockey while you're under contract. Your contract is going to continue to be paid to you. That is that is a guarantee donskoy is going to collect the the three you know however much an actual salary his deal is his cap hits 3.9 so somewhere in the in the you know vicinity of that looks like his base salary this year was 3.9 he will collect that 3.9 million dollars even though he was unable to play this season or you know most of the season whatever it ends up being so he, he still gets that that money that's you know good because again we're, you're talking about a 30 year old who then they're their career, their livelihood gets ended, right? 30. It's a young age to be retiring. <laughs> Just is. Yes. Uh, so you have to think about those things. Uh, you get the $3.9 million. Uh, taxes, I think, though, are applicable to that. Uh, so mm-hmm. something to be considered. <laughs> uh, when it comes to uh, other stuff, as far as like um a, a disability claim, filing a, a long-term disability claim with the NHL, uh, the CBA is – a mess of just legal jargon, all this stuff. So one of the things I did was I went to a uh, wealth management group that focuses on NHL players, and I went through their information that they give NHL players and how they break it down. Because the bottom line is, their job in this scenario is exactly that: is to take all the legal jargon and dummy it down so that you know, hey, this is <laughs> this is what it really means. This is the this is what's going on. Uh, so I went to to this wealth management group, and when it comes to the disability claims, long-term disability claims uh, in the nhl if you are out and experiencing basically symptoms or unable to play for 12 consecutive months and you are determined to be unable to play hockey ever again as determined by a league appointed doctor you you get awarded rj one million dollars a one-time payment of one million dollars yes exactly doctor evil 1 million dollars now it's a tax free 1 million dollars which is good cuz so it's it is a million dollars like i'm not trying to make light of the idea of of a million dollars however when you're talking about somebody being long term disabled that could mean concussion that could mean something significantly greater right that could be yep. you know a player's neck is broken and they're a quadriplegic or something like it could mean something very very um severe and for it to to kind of you know in a way like again I know a million dollars is a lot of money we'd all love to get a million dollars but for it to be a million dollars that you could be talking about somebody in their twenties or their early thirties receiving and that having to offset you know kind of some medical costs or long term treatment costs or any of that stuff um, it's not great like that you know health costs they well add like up anyone fast. who's dealt
0: with any kind of yeah relatively intensive medical costs know how expensive that can get. Um, and it's the kind of thing that can really add up, especially, you know, if you're an athlete's age and you've got the rest of your life to think about.
1: Right. So uh, I, that is that is what the, the disability thing. And that's, you know, again, you got to jump through kind of hoops to get that uh, you, you got you have to be injured for 12 consecutive months again, you, you know, and, and then a league appointed doctor. Again, you know, you could read into that if you want or not, uh, (laughs) uh, is the person making that determination. So that's, that's how the NHL handles it. That's what's, uh, in the current collective bargaining agreement. Uh, as far as the other thing that, that could potentially help out players in this situation, um, is the idea of of or or what is there, which is the pension, and so just again, I'll I'll just let everybody know kind of what the pension thing is, because you know if you're if you're an NHL fan, you might be interested in this. Um, the the pension plan, uh, there's a ton of factors that go into it as far as how many games you actually play at the NHL level, what qualifies as credited service time. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it. I won't go into all of it. Feel free to look it up um, for yourself if you want to. I will say that it, uh, some of the kind of bullet point um, bigger things that, that I have from it is that uh, under the current collective bargaining agreements, when you first play your first full season, so if you play 82 games as a skater, um, your your pension for that later on, and I'll get to when you can start collecting that, is is about $22,000. So that that'll you know playing a full 82 game season will result in twenty two thousand dollars, and then every year you're able to kind of do that that bumps up by five hundred dollars. Do you need to hit the 82 game mark? That well, that's the number for 82 games. It scales based on how many games you're playing. But if you play a full season in the NHL, that is twenty two thousand dollars under the current collective bargaining agreement. uh, That that then you will be getting uh, in your in your as part of your pension payout, uh, annually later on in life, or you can take it as a one lump sum payment. I'll get to that in a second. So that's kind of what it is. And then it all scales from there. Uh, they, they have like in the CBA and the wealth management group pulled it out this kind of like example of a player career. It's a, it's an interesting, uh, table to look at. Maybe I'll add it to the, um, to the, the YouTube version of this. I can throw up the, the table, but, um, it's uh, so, so that's kind of how much money we're talking about on this. But one of the things that that is about it is you're not allowed to collect this money until you're 62. Now, you can start at 45, but it will be greatly reduced because this is going to be paid out for the rest of your life. So, starting it at 60, at, at right. 45 versus 62, they lower the, the amount kind of significantly to make up for that fact of you're getting it nearly 20 years early. Um, but, like, in the, in the case of someone like a Donskoy who, let's say, has to retire. Uh, because of stuff now at the age of 30, you're you, this is where I was talking about. You're talking about something where it's his entire lifetime plus two. You have to go and live his entire life all over again and then two more years to get to the point where he can start collecting uh, his pension, which uh, the pension max, maxes out at $255,000 per year. Again, a lot of money. Most people are yeah. never going to make that much money in a year, uh, much less to, to have that as just your pension payment. Uh, but when you're talking about players taking the amount of abuse and punishment that they're taking, and in these situations specifically, um, the long-term side effects of that and any sort of long-term care that they're going to need and whatnot, that that money can can, you know, they have to, one, get there, and then after mm-hmm. that, that money can kind of quickly go if you need any sort of um, care. Certainly later on in life, as players like get into their 80s or anything, if anybody's ever needed with a parent, uh, to, res- to you know whether it's a nursing home or at home care, like that stuff costs money. It just does, and and yep. you can you can burn through that stuff fast. So uh, uh, some of that is is about the Don's- some situation. Some of that's just to inform. Uh, hockey fans like this is just how it works what's in the the cba you can you know take take the figures for for what they are i'm just kind of trying to report them there i'm not trying to say that like oh poor players or anything like that uh but i do think that it's important to remember the full context around them given we're talking about athletes who they're you know the average nhl player retires or leaves the league at 28 years old and they don't they only accrue about five years worth of of service time so um that the, those are realities to think about when we when we do talk about them as you know human beings,
0: right? And and I think it's you know it is worth talking about again too as far as you know the, the numbers and I you know we're not saying oh these poor players. You look at Yunus Donskoy and according to Cap Friendly you know he's made about twenty million dollars over the over the course of his career. You know you should be able to do okay on that. But I I want to really quickly look at you know another thirty year old same age in the Kraken organization, Max McCormick. Who just recently got called up, and you look at his estimated career earnings, about two and a half million, and that does not account for taxes.
1: I was just doesn't account say, for yeah.
0: agent fees, doesn't account for all his expenses. He's probably actually taking home, you know, about half of that at most, and you're looking at, you know, maybe one point two five million or so, and. You know, and and you know, there he doesn't have any more NHL time left guaranteed. You know, this is not something. You know, he just got called up, but you can't guarantee that. And and let's say he sustains something that's that's going to be a real medical problem for him going forward in his life. You know, that that money really does go quickly. And you know, and and requiring medical care for all that time and not having probably built up a huge you know pension amount too because he
1: hasn't played a ton of he's NHL only played, games. Yeah, he's only played ninety three. So again, you're looking at around twenty two thousand dollars once he hits sixty two years of age.
0: Yeah. And then, and then how do you, you know, if you're having big medical bills pile up, you know, how do you sustain yourself even from the age of 30 to 62? How do you get to that point, especially if it's the kind of thing where you, you can't go get an ordinary job, you're not in a position, you know, if you say you have concussion symptoms where you can work in a normal environment, um, it does become really dicey. And I think it's, it's worth thinking about for for players like that, because there's a lot more of those players than there are, you know, Jonas Donskoys or above, you know, who are, you know, kind of, Uh, you know, top six forwards in the NHL for, for a significant amount of time. Um, And, and so, you know, you got to think about that as well. And then one more thing, if I can just kind of get into, you know, not, not totally rant mode again, but just one thing I want to talk about is the NHLPA and the players Mm -hmm. union. I think this is the kind of stuff, you know, where, where or whether it's the pension or, you know, the injury payment or all of this stuff that they fought really hard for. And I think it's good that they have, I mean, that's what a union's there for is to make sure that the players are protected. I'd like to see them fight a little harder to prevent this stuff from happening in the first place. Yes. Because you see those really hard tooth and nail fights and labor negotiations and all of that. And I think that's fantastic that they've won won the kind of stuff for the players after the fact, after an mm-hmm. injury, all of that. But I would like to see more of a fight beforehand to prevent it from happening and that part of that's being okay with longer suspensions for things like this right part of that is really working with not just you know with the league but also the teams to create a better process uh to get a player who sustained a head injury off the ice and out of the game you know sooner like sooner than what we saw with maddie Beniers or jg Pajot. and i just don't see enough fight in that area and and Ultimately, the union has to do it. That's what a union's there for is protecting mm-hmm. the players. As, as anyone with the union probably you know knows and understands, the league isn't going to be taking the lead on that as far as protecting players. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got to be the union that does it. And so that's kind of my last, you know, what I want to close on anyway, is just a kind of a call to action there for the union to help prevent these things. Uh, so you don't have to be in a position where you need that medical payout or that pension.
1: Yeah, it is. It is one of those. And this is where hockey kind of being the situation that they're in, uh, it it has been used, you know, in in some ways it it, it doesn't benefit the players a lot when it comes to these CBA negotiations. There's a reason why, as we talked about at the beginning, right? The NHL is the one with all the lockout issues and everything. Uh, It's because when you're dealing with a smaller um, overall, pie. Sometimes, then it gets it gets more difficult to to deal with things. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the stuff that the the PA can be taking a lead on and and really focusing on. And I get that they've had to focus on maybe larger things in the past. Um, yep. But but now now this is what you can start on, and you don't have to wait until it's time to renegotiate a CBA. Uh, because you can be working on this stuff and, and formulating your arguments and being vocal about it and, and, and you know basically telling the owners like, hey, this is what's coming, you know, and, and we're going to build up uh, years worth of talking to fans and getting them on board and gaining their support and gaining the support of all of our players to be on board with this and to be willing to do whatever it's going to take to make it happen, right? Like, that's part of it, too, is, is really a lot of this has just been a failure of, of leadership, um, and and that's part of what leadership is in a situation like this is it, it doesn't start when negotiations start uh, because deadlines are, f- are fast approaching. It it can start years in advance. You can you can you know start start controlling the narrative. And I would like to see the the leagues you know they're the PA um trying to control this this narrative here uh, because the the bottom line is you know. The league makes a lot of money. That was one of the things in that Gary Bettman Lifetime Achievement Award is they made five point two billion dollars last year. Okay, the league these owners, the the teams, they don't make that without players. Right? Like that's that's the trade-off. That's how it works. And um so it's it's gotta, you know, they, they gotta give a little bit too. And uh and I wish the PA kinda was a little stronger with that messaging sometimes when it comes to it comes to the health and safety and long term uh, future of of their their members, so there you go. There's there's a nice kind of full circle. Um, before we we uh, officially end this podcast, though, got to talk about next week. I alluded to it earlier, talked about it earlier. Want to start with the trade deadline stuff. Not going to be Kraken stuff to talk about next week on the deep dive because of their bye week because of the All Star Game. Yes, we'll talk about the All Star Game and you know whichever member yeah. of the Kraken ends up going to that and and all of that stuff but one of the things that you know people keep asking us whether it's on twitter discord in the in the uh, post game lives in person what are the cracks going to do with the trade deadline what do you think about this what about that Next week, this is where I want to do kind of a, a Shark Tank style pitch show, a special podcast special where uh, RJ is going to read off our phone number in a little bit. We used it uh, to great effect. I felt like over the offseason, people calling in and giving us their favorite moments from the Kraken's inaugural season. I'd love to do that again this next offseason. But uh, we're gonna give out the phone number. We want you to tell us who you think the Kraken should be targeting uh, in uh, at the trade come trade deadline time, and you know even give us the scenario. What what's what's gonna go back the other way f- to get this player, or uh, give us you know even just pitch us a couple names of hey I think the Kraken really need this. What do you think about X Y or Z uh, of those players? What do you think it would take to get them? Whatever it is, this is your time for all of your trade deadline questions to be asked you can call them up leave us a message we will play the messages uh and then discuss them on the next episode of the deep dive and then we'll also kind of throw in some of our thoughts about what the kraken should do uh as we kind of approach that you know less at that point it'll be less than a month to the trade deadline Uh, right so uh it it should be a good time so I'll, i'll pass it over to you rj you can read everybody out the the number for them to call Right, and I am so looking forward to this, this fun
0: conversation with all of you about trade deadline speculation. I mean, give us all your your potential offers, all this stuff, and I'm especially looking forward to using this mm-hmm. phone line again. Uh, it was it was so fun in the off season when we got to use this. So call us, make your case, uh, Shark Tank style, present your, your potential trades uh, and let us know why it'd be a good idea for the Kraken. So here's the phone number if everyone's ready. All right, 425- Two four 243 7053 I'll say that one more time. 425-243-7053. So give us a call, leave us a voicemail, uh, and we will play your voicemail and, and uh, talk about your, your trade proposal. And I'm so looking forward to going through those next week.
1: Yeah. And if you you know, if, if for some reason you don't want us to play your voice message, but you want us to talk about it, just let us know. We can do that too. Yes. Uh, you know, no, no obligation there. Uh, I just thought it was, it was, again, it was a lot of fun to do that uh, and to hear from people and, and kind of get that. It's just like with the Release the Fan podcast. It does mean a little bit more when you hear the actual person talking about it and their energy and passion. Uh, one last thing too, I, I guess, kind of try to keep it a little short and on topic. Uh, I've just realized yeah. we should maybe, <laughs> maybe throw that out there or 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 know that if you if you go longer that's great give us the in-depth argument but no then maybe just for timing reasons next week i'll have to edit down what we play on the podcast uh so you know you can make it longer just know you might not get the full message read uh you know out on air uh but i I am just gonna throw that out there (laughs) <laughs>
0: yes important caveat there yeah. you know brevity is important and yeah podcast can't be five hours so <laughs> you know it, you can give us the whole breakdown yep, and everything give, give it to us we'll, we're willing we'll to present listen it, definitely but, uh, we're yeah.
1: excited for it but uh yeah just 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 know that that's the that's the trade off of that all right uh thank you everybody for listening and for joining us on this episode of the deep dive um yeah i guess i guess we'll we'll see you next time for that fabulous trade kind of it's it's so funny i keep calling it a trade deadline special it's still like you know three and a half weeks before the trade deadline but uh i, I gotta think of a better name for it when we actually do it next week
0: yeah no tra- i mean shark tank shark tank trade deadline edition i i don't know if we can use that but uh that's yeah. basically what it's gonna be Kraken everyone tank Kraken tank. Hmm. all right we'll, we'll think about it. no 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 Kraken crack yeah. and tank was last season yes right. <laughs> 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 gotta shane right everything's good We'll come up with something good. We've got a week to do it. Uh, enjoy your all-star week, everyone.
1: Yep, absolutely. We will see you all next time. RJ, they tried to do it to us. They tried to keep the deep dive curse alive by by putting out massive crack in news moments after we finished, but ha, jokes on them. I hadn't even finished editing yet. So, brief uh, little addendum to the podcast yes. everybody uh we just found out that maddie benears will be replaced at the all-star game by chandler stevenson of the vegas golden knights yeah that's the that's a cue to boo everybody um so what this means is to the best of our knowledge right now and maybe maybe the deep dive chris will come back to get us in just like you know 25 minutes time rj uh I guess the Kraken will just not have somebody at the all-star game and just be the only team to not have somebody at the all-star game.
0: That's certainly what it looks like, uh, at this point. And, uh, yeah, that's an unfortunate uh, situation there. I mean, given that Seattle is one of the powerhouse hockey markets, uh, in the NHL as has been kind of confirmed by their mm-hmm. getting the winter classic next season to not have a representative at the all-star game is unfortunate. Um, yeah, my guess as to why this has happened is they probably had maybe three to four alternate players that, that could have gone in Maddie Beneer's stead. And I'm guessing they all had prior plans, something arranged uh, where they couldn't easily get to the All-Star game and, and the league, of course, not wanting to kind of derange people's lives. And I understand, you know, that instinct. You know, I don't want to cancel anybody's vacation plans to make him go out there. But
1: uh, yeah, they just decided to go with a, a, a golden knight of all, of all, no, people. that's the thing that hurts the most. But it's, I mean, just there's so many optics. Like you said, we know Seattle where they stand as far as being one of the top teams in the NHL as far as revenue goes. This is a team that is sitting in first place in their division, RJ. Just not gonna have a representative at the all star game. Like, that's wild to me, too. Um, I, I was going to say I hope, but I don't have any faith that it'll happen, that there will be something to acknowledge that during the broadcasts and festivities. There will be reminders that the Kraken exist. because otherwise, RJ, this is just going to look like an uh, an all-star event from like three years ago. nothing else is who wants
0: that who wants to go back to the terrible time in the league where the kraken didn't exist um so hopefully there will be some kraken recognition there i know the kraken on their tweet about this um mentioned hey you can still see buoy at the festivities and look i like buoy but the Bowie is not a replacement for a player. Uh, I, I saw Bowie on the ice during the media skills showcase. He's not a replacement for a player, let me tell you.
1: I was just going to say the only way that works is if they treat Bowie as though Bowie is one of the players and Bowie participates in the skills showcase doing whatever a player would do. That's the only, only fair. That's the only way you can play this that, that works. Bottom line, that's it. Okay, League, Gary, we've talked about you a lot in this podcast. You've been listening, I'm sure. That's that you can make it all right. Everything that I said earlier, you can make it all right if you do that that one thing. That's the only way to make to fix this.
0: Balls in your court, Gary. What's
1: she gonna do? All right, now for the actual end of the podcast. See you next time, everybody. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at Patreon.com emeraldcityhockey Emerald City Hockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Austin H, Austin W, Beef, Burnt Krem, Chris, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthen, Eli, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joni, Joshua, Kepler, Kitty
0: B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Maya, Michelle, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Shoeshine, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.